it's shocking, right? Like we, it, it was um, like we would walk down the hall. Josh Beveridge was the animation head of uh, character animation on Spider Verse One, and we would walk down the hall, and we'd be like, "Are we actually? They're letting us do this. We're doing this movie." <laughs> this is the Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Mike Lasker always knew that he wanted to make things no one had ever seen before. Curious about early VFX and inspired by films like Jurassic Park, The Abyss, and Terminator, Mike found himself at Syracuse University studying computer graphics. He eventually landed in New York City, working on everything from medical animation to architectural previs and eventually to commercials before deciding that he wanted to make movies. The need to expand his horizons eventually led him to L.A. and a job at Sony Pictures Imageworks, where Mike has spent 16 years honing his skills and doing what he always wanted to do, make things no one has ever seen before. We recently had the opportunity to speak with Mike, and we talked a little bit about how his early days working in New York City prepared him for his work at Sony, his experience working up the studio ranks, and how his passion for wowing audiences keeps him motivated. Here's our conversation with Mike Lasker. Uh, so, Mike, I kind of wanted to start by asking you about, you know, where you grew up. I know you grew up in New York. What were you like as a kid? What was it like growing up in New York? Uh, I loved growing up in New York. I was born in Queens, and um, but I grew up in the suburbs north of uh, New York City. And uh, it was great. It was, uh, I grew up in a really great town. I was an artist. I loved I was really an artist first and foremost. I loved playing sports, but at my heart, I loved to draw. I loved to draw things that were realistic, faces, objects. And I got really lucky that my high school had an art major. So I could actually, starting my junior high school, I could take art classes and do that as like my main major and not, and, you know, take less math and, and, and anything else I didn't want to take. So like, it was it was really good. I got to kind of figure out what I wanted to do earlier, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a great place to grow up. I mean, New York city, amazing place. I mean, I've lived in LA for about 16 years now and, uh, but I always, you know, my heart is still in New York and, uh, growing up there with all the culture and art and everything. It really was fantastic. A little cold, but, uh, it was really great. It was awesome. So I'm curious, I mean, if you were always sort of into drawing was, was being a, an artist you, like your main motivator? Like, did you want to draw comic books? Did you want to be a fine artist? Like, what was kind of what were you thinking? It's funny when I was in like third grade, I started a comic and I passed it around to all my schoolmates, like on the bus, and it, I would come out with one like every week. And they, you know, when I was late, they'd be like, "What's going to happen next?" And I have to like draw it and you know come out. So, like early on, I knew I loved to draw. I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go with it at that point. But my dad was really into computers. And this is back like dial-up modem, really slow internet, uh, before Photoshop existed. And um, I got into these really interesting kind of first version computer art programs. And uh, once I did that, I was like, wow, I can, you know, because realism was what I loved. And I just fell in love with like painting by pixels, basically, in these old art programs. And then, you know, as I started to get into it more and more, I just fell in love with it. And I kind of always knew what I wanted to do. I was kind of lucky in that way. 
where like doing what I do now is sort of what was like my dream and where I focused. Like I wanted to get into visual effects, CG, making stuff that no one's ever seen before. And that was kind of always my target, my goal. It was really that simple. I wanted to make work that was just above and beyond what anyone had seen. So I just kind of targeted myself on that. And I got into college. I went to Syracuse University in um, Western New York, and they had one of the oldest computer graphics schools in the country. And, uh, it, you know, so I got in there and they had a great program. I did advertising design and package design and animation and this and that. So I really honed what I exactly what I wanted, but I always knew, you know, animation 3D was just always my dream. It was incredible. Um, you know, it, it helped it like Jurassic Park and The Abyss and, and Terminator. Terminator 2 came out around the time I was really figuring this out in my head. So that just sort of like, you know, tipped the scales right there. I just fell in love with the work. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, when you started, you know, schooling and really honing in on what you wanted to do for your career, we were still at the, like, super early stages of, like, anything done with computers. So, I mean, the foresight to well, know, you know what you wanted. Like, I was always into sports, and there were all these these really cool 3D animated openings to, like, Monday Night Football mm-hmm. or this and that. And it was just – I was like, oh, my God, that is just the coolest thing ever. I want to make stuff in virtual worlds. And I got these really old 3D programs. They could barely run on my Mac. And I and I still have images of these. Like I created this subway station and I animated the subway train in 3D. And it just blew my mind. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was weird. It just spoke to me. It's, it's, it's weird to say it just did. It just had this gravitational pull. Because um, I, you know, wanting to make stuff as real as possible. And what's interesting is, as I've gotten older, I appreciate abstract artwork much more now. But at the time, I just wanted to make the realistic, as realistic as artwork as I could, mimicking reality. And that was, that was what would unlock that for me. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, along the way, you know, your parents are supportive, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just like, what were they thinking when you started saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to school for art school, or I'm going to go to school for art because I want to create these things. Like, were they at all skeptical at any point? You know, I would have thought they would be. My dad is a lawyer. My mom was a teacher that she went into like speech pathology, but they just knew me. And they always were fully supportive. Like my my freshman year at college, the dean said to the parents on the first day, the dean thanked all the parents for supporting their kids going into the visual arts. And I never, ever felt any pushback from them on that. Uh, especially, you know, my dad got me into the into the artwork that I even wanted to do. And, and he, he had always liked art as a kid. And I think they just knew me. And it just made it easier that I didn't have that battle to fight, um, that I could just kind of like go headstrong into that. Now, my grades were not the best. <laughs> so there was some battling on that end. But I kind of throw I kind of throw it back on them now. And they're like, you just always knew. <laughs> grades wouldn't matter you would still get there uh, but there was definitely you know little uh, tension on, on that end but on the art end it was smooth sailing uh, so i'm curious so you, you graduate out of syracuse and w- where does your career start from there that's when things got difficult so when i got out of school it was 1998 and computer animation was like coming into its own i think at that point and 
a lot of people had gone into school to learn it around the same time I had. So I came out and it was just so difficult to find jobs. And I, I made a demo reel of my work at school. <laughs> I made 80 copies. I went and I laid them all out on my parents' living room. And it was like, you know, tons and tons of envelopes. And I sent them out all over the country to ILM, to Sony, to Rhythm and Hughes, wherever, all over the place. And I got rejected from all of them. And it was like, that was like a graveyard of rejected demo reels on the floor of my parents' dining room. And um, so what I ended up doing was I, I was able to get an unpaid internship at a commercial effects house in New York City. And it was just the greatest blessing because I, I got in there. I was working for free, um, kind of doing everything I could to learn. Um, I had to learn the 3D software on the job because I hadn't learned that uh, Softimage 3D in school. And I basically clawed myself into like a paying gig there where I would take on work and they would start to pay me freelance. And it was like a lot of the commercials that you typically see on TV, they would do there. So it was little teams, really kind of really hard work, um, not that many days to get it done. And it was like a boot camp for doing 3D animation, like on budget really quick. So you know, I worked at this company for about a year and a half, but it was just the most amazing experience working in New York City, pounding the pavement. Um, and then after that, I, I moved on and I worked at another company that did architectural previsualization and medical animation and all these other types of things. So I kind of started to dip my feet into all the different avenues that I could follow in the in the industry. And the job I, the third and final job I had in New York, which was a a really high-end commercial effects house was really where I started to come into my own and we would do Super Bowl ads and really high-end animation. And, um, you know, I really kind of got the groove at that point that, you know, I wanted to do movies. I wanted to do commercial, like high-end stuff. And uh, when I was 29 and I was like, I've got to get into movies at this point. And that's when I kind of made the jump, moved to LA. And I've been at the same job ever since at Sony Imageworks for the last 16 years um doing movies and it's it's been amazing so did you when you moved to la did you already have a job lined up yeah so uh sony imageworks was advertising and i just sent them this contact sheet of images that i had done and uh they called me up for an interview so i flew across the country um and i interviewed uh with a bunch of supervisors and they were interviewing for specific projects one of them being monster house the animated film and uh yeah, so I interviewed with the soups and we got along great. And they literally hired me the next week. Um, and it was just a whirlwind after that. I mean, 3,000 miles away, New York to LA, you know, doing, you know, finding a new place to live. And they moved and they moved us out, which was really awesome. And uh, it was just a whirlwind, though. All of a sudden, I'm working for a big studio after I worked at these little companies and I'm working on a big movie with like hundreds of people rather than this like working with four people on a commercial. So, um, but yeah, it was really amazing. And it's, uh, it was really a dream come true. And Monster House was such an amazing first movie to work on because it was already breaking the mold of what you typically saw. It was a brand new renderer. It looked like a stop motion animated film. And uh, so just out of the gate, it was fun to do something that creative. Learned a lot really fast. 
Well, yeah, I was going to ask about that because it seems like one of the trends in your career is this idea that you you kind of you have to get in there and and just do the work, even if you don't exactly know the tools that are being used and maybe even exactly what you're doing. But you just have to get in there and do it. I was wondering, you know, how important were those early years working in New York at these small studios where you were kind of doing a little bit of everything in preparation for your job at Sony? Totally invaluable. And that's what I tell younger artists because I talk to students and, and co- you know college kids and people starting out and that you know if you're going to 3D animation the most important thing is that you know the pipeline and I started off as a generalist and I modeled I did character animation effects dynamics simulations compositing rendering lighting and knowing how everything works will make you the most valuable person to your company and I think you know, starting off at these smaller companies, I got getting that time to dabble and figure out what I was strongest at and where my interest lay. That's how I knew that when I went to Sony, I wanted to be a lighter. So I went in into color and lighting because I knew that my eye for color, light, realism, that was where I was stronger versus, you know, doing modeling and effect simulations and stuff like that. But I mean, Working at smaller places, I it was totally the best thing that could have happened. And, you know, one thing that's interesting is you work at a big company like Sony, there's a ton of support. You know, I it's, it's always been great. I haven't felt like I was out there on my own. But when you're working at smaller companies, there's a lot more riding on you than just the project. There's like the stability of the actual company, you know. So it, it was good to have all of that stress and pressure because I felt like, it was almost more than I've ever experienced in the films I've, I've worked on. And it was just that sense of the, the smallness, the, the, the small teams, the small company, you know, being in, in the raw, cold New York. I mean, it really set me up to, to go to L.A. and be successful, I think. And I mean, when you started at Sony, like you say, you were in lighting, but that's not where you are now. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, you know, moving through the company into different roles, maybe not every film, but every couple of films kind of taking on a new challenge and how that's been for you. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, starting off lighting, you, you typically, you know, your your main concerns are the shot you're working on or the shots that are assigned. And it's really a great place to start. I mean, especially at a big place, you want to know the tools and the software and, and, and how things work. And as you move up, and I guess it was on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 1, maybe, I started uh, being a lighting lead where you not only work on your own shots, but you're also overseeing the team of lighters that you're a part of. Uh, you're still under a CG supervisor, but you're, you become the technical go-to person. So half of my time is lighting, half of it is helping light artists with their templates and their technical issues and figuring out things. And typically as the show would go on, you, I would light less and help people more as the team grew. Uh, but definitely being a lighting lead was the first sort of experience overseeing like a, a team. And then, then I moved up to CG supervisor on hotel Transylvania one. And that's when it's kind of a step further where you're not just overseeing the team, but you're assigning shots. You're getting more of that 20,000 foot view of the show. Um, you get more access to the VFX soup and the producers. And it was really the, the biggest sort of level up in my career. I really think uh, almost more than anything, because 
I went from really just worrying about singular shots and things to having to worry about a team, having to worry about the whole show. Um, so that was, that was a big one. And then obviously I did that for a few years and then moved up to be visual effects supervisor on Mitchell's versus the machines. And um, that was just such an amazing experience because all of a sudden, not only are you overseeing the entire production of the film on the, on the digital end, but you're, you're working with the directors, you're working with the visual development team. You have a hand in the real creation of the movie. And it was just so exhilarating and challenging at the same time, especially a movie like that, which was my first one. But um, having just done Spider-Verse before that, we kinda, I kind of rolled in ready to go. But um, it was really just, it, it, you really did it in steps from lighter to sequence lead to lighting lead to CG soup to VFX soup. It was a really nice sort of step ladder up. Um, yeah. I'm curious if, you know, having worked your way up the ranks, if that's sort of helped um, with your leadership of teams, like how has that been beneficial to you as now like a CG lead and a VFX lead? Yeah. I mean, it definitely does because especially doing it all at the same company, I know like what the lighters are going through when they're working on shots because I did it. Um, and, and I think having worked at those other companies and did other areas of the pipeline, I had an awareness of what CFX, cloth and hair, what they have to do to get us what, what they're doing and what animation has to get rigging or what modeling has to get rigging kind of up through the pipe. So having gone through all those levels and been a troubleshooter lead it gives you a nice sort of overview of what everyone's doing and it helps you kind of empathize with what everyone's going through. And it helps me relate to everyone on the show. And we, so we sit in rounds and, you know, I'm talking to lighters that I was the CG soup for or lighters that I used to light with. And uh, that's a real benefit of having been here for so long. You just have a nice sense of the company and where things are going and people above me and people that I'm supervising um, and it just helps with relations, I think, overall. You talked a little, you mentioned it sort of in passing how, you know, you rolled in from Spider-Man, <laughs> Spider-Verse into, into Mitchell's. And I mean, the films are quite different, but they also have some similarities. And really, that's that's true with a lot of the work that you've, you've, you've been involved with and that it's all quite different. It's always sort of pushing the boundaries. How important is that for you as an artist to... Um, be sort of working on the, the sort of the gray areas? You know, it's more important than I think I ever thought it would be. You know, until, I mean, excluding, I, you know, the movies that we do at Imageworks and Sony Animation, you know, they're all different, which is amazing. You know, they're, they're typically different styles. Um, there's always something new to figure out. Like Surf's Up, we had to figure out how to do the waves. I Cloudy with his meatballs, all the food and everything. Um but what was interesting was once we got to Spider-Verse, it was such a change. Up till that point in 3D animation, you, you, you tend to rely on principles, how you do things. And even if we have different looks movie to movie, you're still kind of doing the similar things. You're just, the models are different or the hair is groomed different, or you're doing water instead of volcanoes, stuff like that. But Getting to Spider-Verse, and I say this all the time, and I was just telling someone the other day that it just changed the perception in your mind about what these movies could be. 
And it just, it sounds funny to say it, but it like rewired the brain a little bit because all of a sudden everything I've been doing the last 20 years, you, you're doing completely differently. And it's like everything from depth of field to eye specs to hair to animation stepping. I mean, everything. So when you do that and you kind of like are thrust into that, it's almost like it's a form of like trauma, I think, because creatively, because it sort of breaks everything down and then you got to build it back up. And once you've built it back up, you're kind of a different person. And like, it is completely true. And everyone that worked on that first movie, um, you know, I continue to work with on Mitchell's and I continue to work with on my new project. And once you went through that, it, it kind of changed everybody. And it, as an artist, you know, oh my God, I mean, getting to just be creative, make things no one ever has seen before, and actually just coming up with ideas and getting them on screen. I, I would tell artists when they come on the show, if you come up with something cool, chances are it's going to get in. Um, so that was why Spider-Verse was so great, was that we had an amazing team at Sony Animation, but we also had all the artistry of the Imageworks artists injecting all of their ideas into the movie. And it's just rich from, with, that, with that stuff from top to bottom. That, that's such a gamble, though, for a big studio like Sony to sort of throw out the book and basically start from scratch. It's shocking, right? Like, we, it, it was um, like we would walk down the hall. Josh Beveridge was the animation head of uh, character animation on Spider-Verse 1. And we would walk down the hall and we'd be like, are we actually they're letting us do this? We're doing this movie. <laughs> and it, when, before I came on the project, I was talking to my artist manager and he was like, oh, you know, you could go on to this live action project. You could go into this Spider-Man animated film. And I'm like, well, what's that all about? And at the time, no one really knew what it was. And uh, it just started off as something that was just a huge gamble. And I'll never forget, we did a um, sort of a breakdown of everything we were trying to achieve artistically to Tom Rothman, the head of Sony Entertainment, Sony Pictures. And he just got it. I, he was sitting in there and he's like, you know what, guys, I get it. And they just trusted all of us to make this film. And it, it was so different. It's just not what you would expect a studio to do. Even looking back now, it's amazing to me that we, they committed to it and we did it. Um, yeah, amazing. Did, did you feel extra pressure because it was something new and unknown? You know, it's interesting. I mean, there was a lot of pressure to get it. It was very hard, and we had to obviously get it done. So there was the normal pressures of getting it done. Um, but, I mean, there was added pressure when we were trying to figure out the look, especially of characters' faces, because um, it was such a new thing. We had to make sure the performance from animation comes across, but we have to inject the render styling into it, and where is that line? So, you know, there was definitely a lot of creative pressure but it was kind of like an exhilarating pressure uh, just because it was so new. Um, so it, it was really just a whirlwind. That's the only way I can describe it, like just a tornado of creativity and experimentation. And I always tell people you got to be willing to fail a lot because you have in order to kind of have your breakthrough. You can't do things like safely. You really got to push things. And that was, that was what we really took away from the first, from Spider-Verse is that we had to just hit things with a hammer out of the gate or it would, you can't inch your way there. Cause once you go too far, it's easier to pull back. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely pressure, but very just, um, it was just an incredible experience. I'm curious, you kind of mentioned very quickly in passing that you kind of had a choice between, you know, uh, an animated uh, feature or a, a live action. How, how, do you, how do you pick what you're going to work on next? You know, a lot of times it just comes down. It, it obviously depends on like what level you're at. You know, I think mm-hmm. as like if you're coming in as a junior artist, you know, you're sort of at the whim of the schedule. Mm-hmm. What's the next project up? You know, obviously they work with artist management. And Sony's really good about finding out what types of projects you'd like. Um, but you, everyone to a degree is at the mercy of what projects we have. <laughs> so, you know. When I first started at Sony, they were like, okay, you're going to start a Monster House, then you're going to go right into Spider-Man, one of the live-action ones. And by the time Spider-Man live-action rolled around, the timing didn't work so well, so I ended up going on to Superman Returns. Uh, So, you know, they'll be pivoting in this and that, but, um, you know, now that, you know, the higher, the kind of as you work your way up, the the relationship between you and the project you're on changes. But, you know, I, uh, at that point, you know, I fortunately had the freedom to sort of choose what I wanted to do. But even even so, I mean, it was kind of we had a few projects going on. So I was able to do that. Um, but if I was like, I just want to work on live action, you know, I would have just worked on. I think it was the Meg, that Megalodon movie uh, at the mm-hmm. time. So. I'm 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 I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the Mitchells because as you mentioned as a VFX supervisor you have more of an interaction you get you get to work with the director on the final sort of version of the film and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know working um, with uh, Michael Rianda and and how that relationship kind of developed the look of the film. Yeah, I mean Mike Rianda. <laughs> When I came on the show, he was already like a legend at the company. He'd done a pitch for the movie and he, in front of the whole place and his enthusiasm and just energy was like already known to everybody. And when I, when I, he obviously he loved Spider-Verse. He was so excited to be working at the company that did Spider-Verse. He loved that, you know, he really wanted to make a movie that was in a similar way, just breaking the mold of artistry, creativity, doing new things so he was really jazzed up, you know, when I came on, I really tried to, you know, and I was enthusiastic, but kind of our enthusiasm levels were really in sync. And I think from the start, the relationship was really good. And, you know, having done uh, Spider-Verse and getting a lot of the crew and a lot of the company rolling onto this, it was just this new sense of what can we do next, you know, because you just, once you start breaking things down and rebuilding up, you just want to keep doing that. So, yeah, I mean, we we started the look of the film. They they had designs and what they wanted. But I told Mike, I'm like, listen, the best thing you can do for me is get me a painting that is as close to the final look of the film as you and your team can envision. That way we we know what we have to build tool-wise. Because, you know, other than a Spider-Verse tool here or there, we did build completely new tools for this project uh, to to create this watercolor illustrative style. Um, so, and they did that after a lot of collaborating, bouncing back and forth, Lindsay Oliveris, the production designer, um, and and her team gave us this beautiful painting that I have on my wall over here of Rick and Katie in front of their house. And it has everything I needed to figure out what do we need to do to make the look? How does the lighting fall into brushstrokes? What are the outlines like? Like what what do trees look like? What does grass look like? What does the sky look like? Um, 
And that was just invaluable. So once we had that, we just broke it down. We developed tools. Uh, but to your original question, I mean, the relationship with Rihanna just grew very slow. You know, it grew quickly, actually. You know, I feel like we just knew where we were in sync fast. And the whole team was just so cohesive and so creative. And, the, you know, we, and like I said, we, you had to fail a lot to figure out what you want, how to make the look work. And once you make the look work, then you animate it and it presents another whole slew of things you have to figure out. So it was a real progression of creativity and collaboration. But the, the team it was just such a family in the end, which is great because the movie was about family. We were a family by the end of it. What was the biggest challenge on Mitchell's? You know, it's it's funny. I, I get asked that sometimes. And it was really the just the, the whole look of the film and the fact that the film, the look of it had to evolve as the movie went. So you start off in the world of the Mitchells that is handmade, very like you feel the hand of the artist was what they wanted. And then you move into the world of robots and pal and the movie has to get very, it has to get cleaner. Edges have to get sharper. Reflections have to get glossier, but the characters still have to fit in that world. So all of our tools not only did we have to make to be able to hit the initial painting of the world of the Mitchells, but they had to be dialable so we could crank them down as the movie went along so that when Rick is in the, you know, in the world of Pal, when he's in like Pal's office or when Mark is getting dragged by, you know, into, into Pal's office, they have to fit. Um, so that was really the biggest challenge. I think creating a new style, being able to evolve it and getting the movie done on time. <laughs> it was really the big things. And, you know, within that, there's just so many layers of complexity. Um, but yeah, that, that was it overall. You, you mentioned uh, failure and how, you know, you, you kind of, you have to fail to, to create something new. And I'm wondering, like, how do you deal with failure? How do you personally, like, deal with it when it happens? You know, I think you have to really look at what it actually is and say, okay, what did we learn from this? You know, this is not working. And, and I think the, what I learned is the best way to really figure out what you want is you have to try a lot of different versions, iterations, throw in ideas that are out there in all different directions. And you just have to see what the, what they respond to the best, because even if they hate an image, they could be like, Oh, but I like that one little part of it. And that's a win right there. So like the whole image is a failure, except for that one little part that they like. And that's something you can take and build on. Um, and that's really how you do it. Um, you just have to keep, because a lot of times they may be envisioning something in their head and then they see it, it up on the big screen or it moves and then they change kind of, okay, maybe not, you know, maybe don't want to do it like that. We want to try something else. So I think it's just not being, you kind of have to get ahead of it and just really experiment, not be afraid to do something that you know is going to look like totally out of bounds because there may be stuff in there that they're going to want. And the worst thing you can do is just inch your way slowly there because you'll just, it's way better to just overshoot it by a mile because then you can pull back. I'm curious though, because it's, it's, it can be difficult to take those leaps, but you, uh, the group at, at Sony has seemed to make a uh, an environment for artists where you know taking chances and failing is actually you know something good. But 
you know, that that's really hard to do. How has that sort of developed over the time that you've been with, with, with Sony? Yeah. You know, it's all about your, the attitude. Like it just comes down to that. I mean, like there's a certain perception, I guess, before Spider-Verse, you know, you kind of get into a rhythm of doing these projects and, like I was saying before, like the Spider-Verse experience was kind of creatively traumatic where you all of a sudden couldn't do it how you were doing it before. And you had to just kind of force yourself to experiment. And, and at the beginning, it is hard. And for people that are used to kind of doing things a certain way, you know, and they're, then they get into these projects that they're really not used to, you know, it's a whole new thing. It can be hard. But I think, you know, I believe everything from the top down, you really have to set a, a standard of being willing to, you know, not getting frustrated, being willing to be creative and fail. And if it's, if you're getting that from the top, I think it's much easier as an artist to sort of be willing to make that happen. Uh, and that's really what's happened. And it's amazing that, you know, Christine Belson and Sony animation that they've been able to bring in projects like projects like this. And I think you just have to recognize that, these looks are really hard and that's what makes them so cool. Uh, and that's another thing I tell artists, like if it were easy, it, it would not be cool and look as good as it does. You have to just find it and work it. And, you know, you just have to be willing to do that. And I think the success of Spider-Verse, the, the success that we're getting with Mitchell's, it kind of builds on itself. So it's kind of like a little snowball avalanche down a hill. And now we get artists, wanting to be on these projects who are looking for this. So working on the sequel to Spider-Verse or Mitchell's, I, I'm getting artists that have already done a project or two of this and they know what they're getting into. They know the type of work it is. And that alone, you're, you're getting people that are like hungry for it. I was going to ask about this later, but it kind of fits in here because, I mean, my question is now that you've kind of, you've broken the mold yeah. <laughs> multiple times, how do you keep breaking that mold and innovating? You know, it's funny. There's just an infinite amount of things you can do. And the mold, I think, is only the one we make. And I think now that we've kind of really played a big hand in, in, in breaking the mold of of just kind of what's going on out there. There are just so many ideas, so many filmmakers that have ideas now. And I see, you know, great, you know, animated films and animated shorts, and there's just a lot more creativity out there. And there's just so many ways you can go, even within the look of a painting. There's so many different styles you can go, so many different ways, different mediums, different ways you paint, different ways you ink, um, you know, different artists have different styles. So, it's really kind of, you're just, you're just sort of contained by your own imagination, really. Uh, you obviously have to be able to build tools and have the amazing people on the team that can help you achieve these looks. And that's, that's the most invaluable thing, is being able to develop stuff that, so you can scale it up to a feature film. And that's really, I think, one of the biggest challenges that we don't talk about that much is we have to train all of our artists to do these looks. And that's like hundreds of artists. They have to know the tools. And we have to have creative people in development that work with us to help us make these tools in an efficient way. So it's such a collaboration from top to bottom. And it just, um, you know, it's just everyone working together with a common goal. But, but to your original question, I just feel like the, it's just the limit of your imagination uh, now. Because if you know, if you kind of know the look you want, and you, you can break it down into the components you have to develop. I really feel like we can do anything. 
I'm curious because, you know, one of the things that we talk about is a lot is changing technology and how, you know, things change overnight. And so something that you learned last week is going to be totally new next week. Um, internally, how does that, you know, you talk a little bit about training your artists, sometimes hundreds of them on tools and developing new tools. And I'm curious about how technology sort of plays a role in, in, in how uh, projects are created and how people are like trained and what sort of like for students that are might be coming in or first time artists that are coming in, what can they sort of expect um, as they're walking in the doors at Sony and, and how technology is handled down the road? Yeah. I mean, we have an incredible department. We, uh, we use our, our lighting software Katana, which we actually built here and now it's sold by the foundry and a lot of companies use it. And, um, and we developed the Arnold renderer here that also is out and about. And, you know, it's such a community of development and we're, we're experimenting in real time and we're using that on projects and we're constantly, and what's, what's nice about ImageWorks is that we do live action visual effects and we do animated films. And we started as a live action studio and slowly animation came in and what's up, what's great is all the tools and all the technology we build for one we use on the other they bounce back and forth and we try to keep it like a uniform level of development and you get such an amazing range of projects and looks you have to have to achieve that it just sort of builds on itself and i think coming in you know i think knowing software like maya learning katana getting into unreal um learning uh nuke for compositing um you know, being a programmer, we're constantly uh, upgrading our tools. We developed a brand new hair pipeline in the last few years that's so quickly. And now that we have that, we use it for a lot of things. Um, so it's just really ongoing learning. I mean, when I first started, we were just developing Katana. We had these Katana user groups and every month there'd be a new version and we'd be beta testing it and upgrading it. We're always upgrading our renderer. And so you just have to be ready to keep relearning and it can be hard, you know, it's easy to sort of settle on, okay, I know how to use this and having to constantly learn, you have to get your mind into that. And I think getting your mind trained to do that also helps what we were just talking about being able to be versatile and to fail and to experiment creatively because your mind is already churning and relearning all the time. So we have a very big training department, lots of great documentation and everything. And even within the shows, Every specific show has its own training. So if you're coming on to a Spider-Verse or a Mitchell's, you're going to get specific training for the tools we're using on that show versus more of the bigger ImageWorks tools that everyone needs to know for everything. Mm -hmm. So it's really just a mindset coming in. I'm curious if we could talk a little bit about your days and how you you plan, you know, with 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 these types of schedules where there's so many things going on. I'm curious about how you manage yourself and your time for your day. And I think that that's really helpful. And maybe a little bit about how that's changed over the years, how, how you've come to where you are today, how you manage your days. Um, well, my schedule today is way different than it was when I was a lighter. You know, I think when you come in, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot less meetings. You're going to work with your team, with your supervisor. You'll present your work in dailies and then in reviews. Um, and what's different, my meetings now, I meet with uh, executives and producers and the directors, and I, I'm involved in the layout. I go to the animation reviews. So, uh, you know, obviously I'm overseeing lighting and 
how we're how we're building our characters and how they're going to be rigged and we have whole meetings about specific characters and how they're going to work and what we're going to do so it's you know my day is filled with just a huge variety of departments that I'm interfacing with so you know I'll be in anim this in the morning I'll be in layout in the afternoon I'll be looking at lighting, you know, in the middle of the day. So I think that's the biggest thing. It's like you're just involvement in the overall pipeline of making the movie from executive producer to director to all of the artists making the film. It's really just uh, the variety of meetings is all over the map. (laughs) So you have to be able to sort of change your mindset, you know, as you go down, but it's all related at the same time. So I'd say the the biggest thing you have to learn as a supervisor, and which I think is the biggest jump from being an artist to being a supervisor, is that overview of the movie. We call it the twenty thousand foot view, and how not looking just at your singular shot, but how that relates to the sequence, how that relates to the movie, how the assets being built are going to unlock layout, which is going to get shots into lighting and animation faster. It's a whole big circle of work. Um, so you have to sort of look at it like that. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like that movie Arrival, where the aliens they, the aliens look at things in a circular way. It's it's the same thing. It's you you got to look at the whole pipeline in a circular fashion. In those busy days where you're running around from meeting to meeting and putting on different hats, as they say, how do you find time for yourself and to unwind and to recharge your batteries so that you're fresh for all of these new things that you're taking in all the time? Well, I'm an early riser, so I typically, you know, I like my mornings. I kind of like, I don't, I hate to rush, so I like to just take my time in the morning. Um, we, we always get an hour for lunch, so no matter how busy you are, you, will, you, you have an hour there. Um, but I don't know, you know, for me, I just, I kind of, I just love the work so much that it, the, the variety of meetings is nice because you constantly have to switch gears which I think kind of also helps you stay fresh. But, you know, I think for me, it's really taking the time in the morning, you know, set it, getting set up for the day. Um, and then just, yeah, looking at all the work and just being, you know, just so happy with all the work everyone's doing. But it's definitely a challenge the busier you get because you do have a lot less free time as production kicks up. I mean, at the beginning of the show, it, where it's slower, you have a lot more free time. Um, and what's good is I get to do one-on-ones with, supervisors and leads and artists and you kind of get to know the team um it just those little meetings make a huge difference too Um, actually and i want to talk a little bit about inspiration because clearly you're talking to all of these people and one of your uh, um in your role you're also being inspirational right and aspirational and Mm -hmm. i'm curious about you know where you find your inspiration do you find that in other films in art in books in music somewhere else i mean i love movies i've always loved movies that's definitely far and away the biggest inspiration i mean i love artwork too i love going to museums like uh my last trip to new york i went to the metropolitan museum of art and you know you look at this artwork that was done hundreds of years ago and they're using the same techniques that we're using now to sell an expression or bring life to the character's eyes. And it's just really interesting to see that. Um, but I mean, I always loved movies. I, I, I loved Star Wars and I loved, I loved cartoons when I was growing up. I loved 
visual effects, like I was talking about before, a lot of those early films. And I love a lot of animated films too, like Studio Ghibli more than anything Miyazaki. Love, love, love that that work. Uh, there's so much to learn from that. So it's just like a a wide array of inspiration for me. And, and, and I mean, live action movies that don't even have effects, you know, but learning, you know, looking at the performances, look at how scenes are lit for emotion and drama and how their art directed, everything informs everything. Cause in the end, we're all just making movies. Um, so huge movie fan. I mean, from the Godfather to the iron giant to, you know, star Wars to, you know, to everything. Uh, so I think being not like pigeonholing yourself into one thing, really getting a broad view is smart. I, I, I had a conversation with someone else the other day and we were talking about how, you know, a lot of the artists that are graduating now, they were born in the year 2000s and <laughs> right. you know, they don't, anything older than that is ancient history and they don't remember it. How important is it to kind of, you know, expand your horizon and maybe try something that might be uncomfortable or that you're not immediately familiar with? And how, I mean, how important is that to your job? Oh, so important. I mean, my daughter is going to be 20. <laughs> she was born in 2002, and I've exposed her to music and art and movies that she probably never would have seen, and it just, like, blew her mind. And I think looking back, seeing how things have, have gotten to where they are now is so important because there's just so much behind everything and why it is the way it is. And, that, and that's another big thing. It's like, what led to this? Why are we doing it this way? And I think knowing where it came from and what inspired it helps you sort of break the mold and be like, okay, we're doing it this way because of that. Maybe we can do it a better way. Maybe we can change it. Uh, but I think having a really good view of like the history of like animation, the history of cinema, obviously what books have inspired projects, uh, really the whole gamut, it only helps. And like I said, I feel like you can change the way things are going and how you're doing things a lot more easily. If you know the origins of them, um, so it all feeds itself, I think. Yeah, know how it's made before you break it. Yeah, I think it's just useful to know that because it, knowing why it is like that may help you understand it better to then break it. Because, <laughs> you, know? you know, maybe there were things you didn't think about. Oh, it was that. That, that makes sense. Oh, but, you know, we can still do a, a better way. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you, you've had a, a, an amazing career and you, you've done so many things over the course of your career. Is there something you haven't done yet that you still want to do? Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, I mean, I, I think about this and, and I'm exposed to what how producers are on these projects and how directors are and writers. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of dabbled in all of those. And um, I think just kind of continuing on being creatively more involved in the creation of these projects, I think is, is where I want to go. Cause, cause I have just lots of ideas, especially visually uh, on how projects can look. And I always feel like I kind of know what the finish line looks like. So I think sort of like moving forward and just being more involved in just the filmmaking is, is a good, is a good goal to have. But I tell you, doing these movies is so much fun and it's hard when you're doing it, but it just, there's just such a payoff um, and when people see those images of things they've just never seen before, they, they get that wow factor. That's like just oh, the only thing I ever wanted going into this is that look on their face when they see it. Like I love in client reviews where we put something up there and they're like, whoa, or they think it's like the concept art and it's a render. Like nothing beats wow. that. So it's, uh, it's really awesome. 
I'm curious about if you had one piece of advice that you could give to, you know, a young artist or a student um, getting their start in the industry, what would that piece of advice be? I think that the biggest thing, because it is, you know, there's a lot of people that, there are a lot of people that want to do this work. It is very competitive. More, there are more schools and there are more jobs now too than there ever were before, but there are a lot of really talented people out there and you have to follow your passions. You have to find something you love to do. And so you are that motivated to be the best artist you can be. And you have to have goals. Um, And you don't have to know exactly what you want to do initially, but I think being passionate about what you do and doing everything you can to, to get the best that you can be at that, that is what you have to do because it, you know, it's, um, it's competitive and a lot of talented artists out there. But if you're like, if you're like, nothing is going to stop me, I, cause you can just make it happen. And that's what I tell people too. And we see it every day. Like you can will it, you can make it happen. If you care enough, if you're persistent enough, if you're passionate enough about it, you will make it happen and you won't let anyone stop you. And that you just have to have that mindset. I mean, I got rejected by 80 companies. It was devastating, but you just have to keep at it and you'll get there. It's really you know, hard work pays off. That, that's really the bottom line. And that was our conversation with Mike Lasker. You can find Mike's latest project, The Mitchells versus the Machines, streaming now on Netflix. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.